Hey friends, today's episode of In The Sticks was recorded in Nairobi, Kenya, and I sat down with the great Artin Jama. Artin and I's dads have been best mates for as long as either of us could remember, and although we only officially met a few days back, he'd always been quite a big figure in my life not just as the only other known artisan out there, but because I was always told about the crazy places his work had taken him. Arson and I chat about his experience working for some of the country's largest broadcasters in the ABC and the SBS, and then his transition into going out on his own and starting up his own little production company, which has now led him to be working for the United Nations. It was awesome to finally meet the great man and even better, sit down to chew the fat. I hope you enjoy. Martin, welcome to In The Sticks. Thanks. Thank you for having me, mate. Um, you're out here at your gorgeous house here in Westlands. And um, yeah, thank you so much for, for jumping on. Um, we caught up the other day and you mentioned sort of what you do for work and some of the, the crazy places that your work has taken you and alarm bells went off as a, as a perfect podcast guest. So thank you very much. Mate, um, so yeah, I want to start off with how we know each other. Um, so we only officially met a few days ago, and is that right? Have we ever met before? Before prior uh, to that? I, I don't, well, met in terms of you can remember it. I think yeah, I'm, I'm 20 years older than sure. you, so yeah. I mean, like I've seen your nappies. Mate. Yeah, yeah, not actually, <laughs> not a conversation based um, type of thing. Yeah, but so we only met officially, and we'll say a few days ago. Um, but how we know each other is that our our dads are very close, if not best mates, and have been for how long would you say? Maybe over thirty years. I've got here. Oh, uh, at least. I mean, I've 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 known your dad for yeah, um, longer than that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, that's definitely how we um, met each other, and they they were so close that my dad, no word of a lie, named me after you. So that's. That's a pretty crazy story. I was thinking about the other day and that type of thing with, say, a a Western – say, two Western female friends. Imagine if one were to name um, their other – their next first child the same as what the first one was. So it's pretty crazy that Fyde was just okay with – my dad completely pinching his his first, but see, his first sons. It happens all the time. <laughs> like, how many Adams do you know, right? Yeah, but the how many Chris's do you know? That's a, the difference with that is, do you know any other Artins? No, it, exactly right. We're the only two that. But let's put a bit of context, though. I mean, like we are the only, um, like we're we're uh, second generation born Somali Australians, right? So, well, well, the first the first born Somali Australians, right? But so there's not many of us. No. Right? So we're, we're kind of a new crop. Yeah. So maybe in the future, Arden becomes a, True. a real fad. As unheard of as, um, as it is now. But right. um, yeah, so we haven't actually met before the other day, but my dad would always tell me about you and you're definitely a figure in my life. Um, he'd always tell me about all the, the crazy places that you've been to. Um, 
so yeah very happy to very excited to be having a chat with you today um, but to start off, mate, I normally like to hit my guests with a with a would you rather, just to ease into things a little bit. So, Arton, would you rather never have a cold again or never be stuck in traffic again? Um, yeah. So I think st- stuck in traffic, never be stuck in traffic again, because I think that's literally seeing your life waste in front of you. Yeah. Right? So at least a cold is like that's that is life. You know, you're getting stronger every time you get a cold, and it's p- just part of it. But yeah. traffic just sucks. What if I said not like not just cold, but like flus as well? So like you get to. Calculate like how, how many, many, how many days, yeah, how yeah. many flus <laughs> yeah. you go through. Like once a once a year, if you like, maybe maybe once every two years, yeah, right. So you're out for a week, yeah. You can you, if you, it depends on where you are, True. right? If you're in a city, right? You're in. I mean, so I lived in Bangkok, and I lived there for about six years, and they've got some major traffic jams, and to the point where you can see your condo, your house, just there, and. You're, you're just stuck in traffic, gridlock, that you have to just get out of your car, all right? And you just, you're, you're totally stuck. So if you had like a driver or something like that, yeah. which, which I didn't have, um, you could just be like, ah, oh, I'm leaving the car and just yeah. walking. But <laughs> otherwise, you, you're stuck there. Yeah. And you're stuck there for uh, two hours. Yeah, wow. Not moving, just seeing where, where you could be, you know, and yeah. watching your life flash, you know, not even flash, you move very slowly in front of you. So yeah. that just sucks. Well, how about, how's, it, how's the traffic here in Nairobi? Is that a factor or? Yeah, I mean, depends on, I mean, I live in uh, the, you know, greeny north part. Yeah, where, it's you beautiful. Know, my idea, we're out in Westlands in Nairobi. It's, yeah. So, I mean, my world is small here, really. Like if you want to go downtown, you want to get, get amongst it, you want to go into the CBD, good luck to you. Yeah, you know, I just I, I put a little cross on your chest and I'd send you away. Yeah, you know what I mean? like, and that's it. Like you know, like <laughs> you're not going to come back for a while, and it's crazy out there. Yeah, so okay. it depends on what you want to do. Yeah, you're right. Exactly, it depends where you are. So I think I would say, yeah, tra- stuck in stuck in traffic. I would rather not have that be a factor in my life. Um, very good. All right. So tell us, mate, where did you where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Melbourne, uh, Melbourne, Australia. It was, you know, it's great. It's a great place to grow up. A lot of open space, you know, great weather, clean air, clean water. I mean, all these things you take for granted, um, especially when you move overseas and you realise, you know, water and air and things like that. Yeah, it's it's tough, you know. In some places, it's really, really tough. Um, like here, we, we, were at, we run out of water all the time. You yeah. Know, and have to, you know, get these special... Um, yeah. How does in. it actually... With that, how does it work, the water work over here? Is that you pay sort of weekly or bi-weekly to get a truck to come out similar? Well, I mean, yeah, yes, you can do that. I mean, there is Nairobi water, you know, but it comes, you know, if you're allocated days, uh, if it does come, you know, yeah. so I've got, I've got my contact that I, I, I pressure him and say, yeah. you know, where's my water, man? Yeah. I haven't got my water yet. He's like, oh, it's coming. I think maybe. <laughs> so last week it didn't come. So it's not guaranteed. So it's yeah. just one of those things, you know, you live in a place where, those things aren't guaranteed. But how crazy is that? Because I've obviously come from Melbourne as well. And when I was landed in Hadgeisa and realised that actual water isn't, uh, it is a bit of a privilege in the sense that you actually have to look out and source it when you're in Africa in a sense. So it's it was pretty crazy. That was one of the biggest um, shocks when coming over here. Well, I think it's good to get out of Melbourne. I mean, Melbourne for me, great place to grow up. Really 
safe. Um, you can walk the streets and do stuff, uh, especially growing up as a, you know, less than a wise teenager, you know, getting up to mischief. Great place to get up to mischief. Uh, totally recommend it to all <laughs> teenagers looking for a place to, <laughs> to get up to trouble. Yeah. Um, great bunch of people. Um, but yeah, I mean, going back to our name and things like that, it was it's really unusual, you know, like there weren't that many Africans. Um, our fathers were the first ones to go over. So you stuck out, you know, and I, I remember growing up just thinking I just wanted a normal name. Just call me Adam. Really? You know, oh, but wow. I didn't want to be Artem. Like, okay, interesting. You know, because it was, you know, oh, everyone be calling you that anyway. They'd be like, oh, uh, so what's your name? And say, Artem. And say, Martin. I say, no, 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 <laughs> Artem. Arthur, yeah, oh, uh, Adam. I mean, like they just could not Man, wrap their, wrap their tongues around anymore. Any anymore? Right now, it's crazy. You had the exact um, same experience. So you actually found that, yeah, it was a bit of a, a burden. Your unique name and sort of upbringing. You just want to, yeah, you just want to blend in, right? Yeah, sure. And so that's the last thing you want is to have a strange name that nobody can understand. And and so, but now it's changed, and it's really different. Um, you know, going back, you can really see. A lot of people that look like you and, you know, sound like you and um, have a similar history and stuff, which is great. So it's changed a lot. Uh, and it's just, it looks like it's really, it's progressed heaps. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, of course. Wow. Um, yeah, cool. So how were you as a, as a student? Were you diligent with your learning or <laughs> how did you, you fare in school? Look, um, you know, I guess, you know, the ends justifies the means, okay. as they say. Right. Okay. Right. So you could say, <laughs> hey, look, everything turned out fine. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I was always got, you know, great potential, could work harder. It's generally my kind of takeaway. Right. Or it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it needs to be more consistent. <laughs> Lacks consistency and focus. That's kind of stuff. But, um, no, I did, I did well enough. Yeah. Um, and then went on to do a lot of study. I've got two master's degrees. Yeah. I've got, you know, and in two different fields. And I think, you know, like, I always look at it like, I think there's a lot of pressure growing up that you're going to to get the the marks, to get the course that you're going to get. And at the age of like 18, you don't know what's going on at 18. Yeah. You don't know the difference between anything. You think you do, but you don't know anything, you know. And I think one of my inspirations is my grandmother, who's 102, Oh, and wow. still, still, still kicking? Still kicking. Wow. Just wow. got over COVID. Oh, my goodness. Right, so just beat COVID. And is that, so is that, um, is that on your dad's side or your mum's side? My mum's side. Mum's side, yeah. Okay. She's a, um, uh, from North North England, and uh, maybe that's the reason. I don't okay. know. It's a bit harsher up there. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, she's um, she's a lifelong learner, you know, and so she didn't, she had like, she had eight kids. And then went to university or started schooling at 40. Oh, wow. And then she became a double doctor, right? So two oh doctorate degrees. Post having her Post having the kids. kids. Yeah, got the kids. Oh, my goodness. Up, and then so at the age of 40, after, you know, with eight kids in tow, um, and, you know, her husband, well, it's classic old old school doesn't do anything for the family. So yeah. he'd, he's like, so nine kids, okay? Wow. So he's got nine kids. <laughs> and annoying. so, um, and then has gone on to just do lifelong learning, wow, you know, and two, two doctorates 
in two different fields, has learnt, you know, a couple of languages and still is taking courses in like theology and other things, right? At 102. Yeah. Oh and my goodness. If you want to know about the, the secrets of life, I think wow. life, lifelong learning, don't stop. Yeah. So this whole idea is like of how how you did at high school which should define you is a silly thing. And I think we need to, as a society, move away from that because yeah. you don't know anything at 18. You don't know what you're going to do. You kind of, you know, oh, yeah, I'll try that. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's a tough one, but, so, you know, it works out in the end. Yeah. So with that then, um, did you go straight to university post your year 12 in, in Melbourne? Uh, yeah. I went to La Trobe University, did an arts degree because I okay. didn't know what I wanted to do. Sure. So general, yeah, you know, got to go to university. You know, that's the whole thing. And then so I did an arts degree. Um, and then got into the student radio when I was there. Right, and okay. that was the thing that has carried through. So the thing about the university was not necessarily the course. It was a, the exposure to different things. And I think that was the biggest thing. It's, and I think largely it is about exposure for everything. Yeah. You know, it's like those who have, you know, wider wealthy kids um, seem to be able to do all these different things. It's because their parents have generally been be able to afford them to go horse riding and sure. and to go sailing and all these kinds sure. of play tennis and golf and these things that cost a lot of money. Whereas, um, so I think exposure is the key. Yeah, and okay. so if you're exposed to stuff, then you can find things that you like and things that you try. And then I just got onto student radio, which was, um, and then from that, uh, just acting uh, silly and playing music and, you yeah, know, okay. it was great. Just tell me about your music. I haven't heard about any of you. Your music students. I had some really strange shows, man. I, I, see, like, I really, were you in a band, were you? Or? No, okay, no, just, yeah. just DJ. Oh, really? Uh, Interesting. Just, just um, you know, disc jockey, like old school DJ. Like means like put a record on, talk, talk, and put another record on. I mean, and then now I, I do some DJing and stuff, but just as a, as a hobby. But it was, it was more... I had a show, I called it um, Techno Roots. <laughs> it's just totally, totally stupidest idea, but... Combining reggae and techno. Oh, wow. I like that. Because those are two You're interests two, that I liked. Right? Wow. I like to go you, raving. Did you, like, when you say join them together, did you just play a reggae song into in a techno or was it an actual combination of the two? It was a mixture of reggae and techno for, like, two hours. Right. So, <laughs> I'll take you up and I'll bring you back down again. Right. <laughs> it really, like, I think they were pretty some jarring transitions, but... Um, I thought it sounded great. Yeah, wow. Um, and my two listeners thought it sounded great. <laughs> well, so did you actually perform live at a few, like, little few local venues or was it just well, it was, all via your radio just station? Radio, yeah, yeah, okay. And yeah. then from, from doing that, um, you get the skills of, you know, how to operate, um, how to talk, you know, which is a skill, I guess, you know, and then you kind of get more confident. And so I went over to England – um, see family and things, and then I got sponsored by the uh, the BBC to become a journalist, and that's based off you know a lot of experience that I've had, you know, just talking and interviewing people on my really weird shows, wow. and then uh, they saw something in me that um, maybe I hadn't seen in myself, and they said, you know what, you should become a journalist, and you know what, we're going to pay for you to go back to university, and you know you should go and do it. And this is like wow. a really coveted um, sponsorship scheme, which I had took took for granted. I, I didn't know what I actually got. Like wow. I had applied for it, and I got it, and I'd beaten out um, thousands of people because they took 
10 a year and then they gave you a mentor and they trained you and and then they sent you off to a, a specialized broadcasting universities around the country you know so i, w- I was up in leeds wow. in north england uh which happens to be a place where my grandma's from uh and so that was nice and stayed there for a year and and then studied and uh got all the skills and came back to australia right and then so was that um was that bbc program after your your arts degree or was it during or what point so in that time was after was that? yeah so that was yeah. after and then i you know, so you sort of finish your arts degree and look for well, what am I going to do next? And this was yeah, so an I just, opportunity that pre- presented itself? So, well, it's one of those things that you have to look for, right? So opportunities won't come knocking for you. It's more um, applying for multiple things. That was like the 30th thing that I applied for. You know? yeah. like, so it's just about getting out there and, and giving it a crack. I always had a dream to work for, for BBC. I don't know why. Right. I have no idea why. I still don't <laughs> understand why, but I'm, I'm like that. Were I you like, like, were you a consumer of BBC stuff or was it just what, no, the I name just, or? It's just the name. Okay. You know, like I'm, I'm attracted to, to the, mis- the, the, the mythology of it all. Like, you know, like, um, oh, that looks good. Like, uh, like they, 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 well, these companies and the organisations – ram their brand down your throat right and they think oh we're the best we're the best we're the best and i'm like oh if you're the best then i want to work for you of course, of course. i don't know in what capacity i don't know why yeah. i'm really not that skilled but you know i think the tenacity of, of just going for it um means a lot yeah wow and you just if you just keep on knocking and if you just keep on keep on at it eventually maybe if you if it all falls your way, you'll get they open the door a little bit, and then you jam your foot in, and then you just keep on muscling it through, and then so yeah, so uh, yeah, so that was um, good training, really good training, and then um, it came back to Australia. Yeah, wow, okay, interesting. And then with the so with the program, was that specifically in one field? Because there's obviously different formats of journalism, or was it just more broadly that you um, did a, a program with them? Yeah, so it was. Uh, it was what they called bi-media um, journalism. So that was for radio, TV, so broadcast. Right, okay. Yeah. So that was based off the, just the broad, broadcast um, experience that I'd been getting just acting like an idiot on. Yeah, on, that's on so air. great. And you, I'm sure at the time you wouldn't have thought anything of it. Like it was just an actual hobby of yours that you enjoyed doing. And that's the, and that's the key. It's like, you know, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, got free stuff out of it, like, you know, tickets to shows. And I thought that was the best you yeah, know, like you know, you get to go to to things, and you know, you have interactions with people. Yeah, that, are, that will call you, and I thought that's exciting. And so these, you know, so it's much like a, a podcast, like we're doing today. Um, but I guess the immediacy of being live, yeah, you know, and that interaction is great. More thrilling, I guess, than pre-recorded. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any? Do you have any known stuff ups on air or anything of that? Oh, nature? absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we thought it was a great idea to get really pissed okay. <laughs> before, before yeah. the show. Yeah. And the problem with getting pissed, um, having having lots of drinks, yeah. is that they wear off. Okay. And so you think you sound fantastic yeah. at the start. <laughs> and then halfway through, you really – because you can't top up because you're, you're – you're, yeah, you know, you can't you're in the go. studio. So you you know, you think, Oh wow, I'm really struggling <laughs> now. I thought I was really, really I was clever. killing it. Yeah. <laughs> and then it just really falls apart. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's funny. Okay, awesome. So then you came back from 
from the UK over back to Melbourne post the BBC program. Did you continue working with the BBC or what was what was next? Well, then I moved um, to the local uh, broadcaster, so SBS. Started with SBS um, and got onto some really interesting shows on SBS. And then from there, I was able to like travel. I uh, moved to Sydney and I lived in Sydney for a couple of years. So that was from Melbourne to Sydney. And that was exciting and, uh, you know, got on some really interesting – and, and when, you, when you're in those fields, you meet people, right, of who course. are doing stuff. And so you meet documentary filmmakers and other things. So I got involved in some short films for Trotfest, um, shot a few of those things, got up to uh, silliness. And then from that, um, we got, like, fully funded to do a, a feature documentary in the Sahara Desert. Oh, my goodness. So we had, we had, to, we had this story about – uh, these people who were displaced due to war and and they're in this permanent refugee camp in Algeria, deep in the uh, Sahara Desert. Wow! And so they gave us money to, to make this thing. And so now you've you've got this um, great problem of actually coming up with you know the story. Sure. And so you kind of like yeah. Well, that was fun to sort of do all these applications, and you think oh you know, and then you're like oh. Jeez, and so yeah, then you have to go around got it, and hire yeah. people and go to like Spain and find you know cinematographers and this and that. Who so it was quite a large scale sort of project. You had yeah. to like gather a, a range of different professions. Yeah, yeah. then we yeah, had wow. to like travel over there and and shoot this thing and all the dramas that came with it. And so there's a lot of things just from saying, yeah, okay, yeah, let's give it a give go. Give it a go. Why I mean, not? Let's I, I never thought in any of the things that I've I've done. Um, I guess the single thing is that I, I just said I wanted I want to work somewhere, okay. and so I'll go there. Yeah, and then I'll just say kind of yes, or and then just see where it all kind of takes you. Yeah, you know, wow. just through the fun and enjoyment of it. Yeah, that's incredible. And I think that's the kind of the key of it. And then from um, yeah, so from that, and that was a very controversial documentary. You can look it up if you want. Oh, really? What was it called? It was, it's called Stolen. Okay. It ended up being, like, really controversial. Um, what was controversial about it? Well, I had, a, like, falling out with with the with some of the other, uh, what do they call it, creative differences. Right, okay. With some of the other producers, and um, I left the, the project before it was completed. Um, they went in with. They went on a different tangent. Sure, I didn't agree okay. with. And so it became um, like we became the story, which we, was always never great. Really? Okay. Uh, so, like in the actual general media, like it was in, a, a known yeah. conflict that was happening on, with the project. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm trying to fathom yeah, to this to what scale. It must be quite a, a large sort of thing if that was a yeah. clash, an in, internal clash was <clears throat> something that was. Publicised, I guess. Um, the the internal clash wasn't necessarily publicised. It was more the the fallout of of the direction of where it went. So, like, it was a story of a family separated by conflicts and the locking of locking down of a border. So, people who fled the conflicts now, uh, thirty years later, haven't seen their family. Okay? Right. Okay. And they're they're stranded in a permanent refugee camp, and the Western Sahara, the, the country Western Sahara. Um, was uh, not they couldn't go back there, so they're now stranded in this refugee camp, um, and then this this border has been set up with landmines and everything, and sure, and then they were having these 
re, uh, reunions that uh, we'll go and document. Okay. And these first time seeing each other for 30 years and it's a you know, nice story. Anyway, it changed. And the direction they went with was uh, this is the last sort of bastion of slavery and the people who have, who have fled there are now being enslaved right. in, in, in whatever. I, so I they don't put a bit of mayo on it? Is that what you Well, I don't, I don't know. I, I, okay. left, I left at that point okay. at, um, and said, you know, we parted ways and then they, they went in this direction and then um, it became a story because it was this, this documentary was finished and then it went to – the Sydney Film Festival and a few other places. Wow. And then, you know, we have an investigative uh, arm of the ABC called the 730 Report that they got onto this this thing because um, the subjects in it now are contesting it and they've flown over the people that oh, we interviewed. Really? And it became a whole palaver. Oh, my goodness. And so it became a whole thing, um, which I then I was pretty glad that I got out of it. Yeah. But – um, so yeah, so yeah, I mean, you just go on the ride and see where and it takes you. See where, see where you end up. Wow, that's crazy. Um, and then, so that was that was when your time at SPS. That was when was that, was that project SPS backed, or was it? It wasn't SPS backed. Okay. Um, that was independent. Yeah, so that was out of those days. And then I moved over to the ABC. Okay, moved back to Melbourne, and then I was producing Breakfast Radio. Yep. there for a number of years, um, uh, which is great. I mean, the stress of that is. Is, is immense so I was a senior producer on that and that means you know three hours of live content every day yeah so, what were the what were the wake-ups I'm sure that were pretty rough well I look it's rough for the first month okay you know you have a twitch in your eye you know, <laughs> yeah. you're kind of like thinking, bit of a zombie because <laughs> you're running like you're running on a lot of adrenaline yeah you've got a lot of pressure and so you adapt you know, and that's just the way it is. You just adapt. And so those, they're just numbers, right? Okay. So when you wake up, it doesn't mean anything. True. Because it, it means when do you go to sleep? True. You know? So that's all it is. Yeah. Like, just, just go to sleep push earlier. Push it back, yeah. Like, it's not that hard. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, it's, all, can, it's all mental. Everything's mental. Adapt to it. It's just, this, just the fact that when you're probably finishing up for the day, everyone's just it's just starting even or just midway through their day would yeah, play so with you a bit, would it? Uh, well, I mean... Yeah, I mean, this is before kids, you know. Like when you when you got no kids, you you don't actually realize how much time you have, right? Yeah. And then until you have them, and then sure. you're like, then, then it's too late. <laughs> yeah. And then you, so this is the the problem with life is that you learn these lessons when it's already passed. Yeah. And you think, oh, man, I had so much time, but yeah. You know. Oh, I feel like I'm going to fall into that trap. I think now that well, even when I'm back in Melbourne working three days a week, I've still got no time. So I'm sure that's going to change down the track. Just whatever you have now, just like smash it by like ten. Yeah, okay. like, and then you'll be like, "Oh wow, man! I did a lot of lounging around." But anyway, I was I was finishing around um, midday. Yeah, and then I thought, well, I've got a, a, like another five hours, right? Yeah. of workable day. So I started my own company. Yeah, and that was a production company. Okay, and just doing like promo videos and things like that because. I liked video and I was yeah. doing radio and I yeah. was like, well, I want to do video. So then I started doing promo videos for things like, you know, um, like a hire company for, for, you know, jumping castles and stuff like that. Yeah, Just right. like really low end okay. stuff. Right? Yeah. But it was a fact that it was your own that you could, um, yeah, build off. Yeah. yeah. And then from that, you know, uh, moved over overseas. And then at your time, so your time at the ABC was, 
working for a large corporation? Was that something you enjoyed or did you prefer your, your, your self-employed route? Because you guess you're doing both at the same time. What was... Uh, look, um, ABC is great for what it is and, you know, big, big, big organisations, you know, all, bureaucracy is always an issue and having opportunities to be able to do your own content is limited yep. because there's other people in line, you know, and, you know, I've done things like done foreign corresponding and, and reporting and things like that. But largely, if you want to do, if you want to break into certain areas, then you've got to go off and do it yourself and then prove that you can do it and then... Because the, the route otherwise, and I'm an impatient person, <laughs> is that you've got to go do your time in the regions and report on cattle and, you know, crops and things like that and in some far out in the sticks. Yeah, right? in the sticks. <laughs> so you've got to go out to, you know, Toowoomba and Wagga Wagga and, you know, back of Burke and all these places. And yeah. you're like, I don't want to go. You don't want to do that. I'm yeah, an inner city guy, that. man. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't rustle, yeah. up, you know, um, cattle and stuff. Like, I don't, I don't talk that language, you know. I'm, you know what my name is, of right? Course, like, you know. they, they won't get it. They won't understand no. me, you know. Like, so, Adam. Yeah, Adam. The Adam from Melbourne. I'll be like, no. That's not me. Yeah, wow. Well, so, yeah, do you really, you got to a point where you realised that you're going to have to do, you're going to be within limits to your own sort of creative um, ability. So you look to, yeah, start your own thing, which seems to be helpful now to what you do um, in current times. So tell us um, how you got involved working with the UN. Yeah, so um, my wife got a job at the UN and then moved us over to Bangkok. Actually, before we do that, can you explain just high level who the UN are and what they, what they sort of do? Sure. Well, so the UN basically is United Nations, the yeah. United Nations, which is a global um, intergovernmental body. So we're funded by uh, member states, and so that would be you know all the way from I think it's one hundred and sixty member states, something like that. Um, so not every country in the world is a member state, but most of them are, um, and that's just based on you know I think. You know, uh, the idea is that with all these kind of joint interconnected governments and finance and, and everybody comes to the table that you, you can then solve problems. Sure. Right? And so it was born after the Second World War because there was a need. Because um, it started off as a League of Nations and then it failed because it didn't stop the Second sure. World War. Sure. So it well, <laughs> didn't do its job. There's going to be a branding issue here. Let's rebrand. <laughs> Let's come back together and rebrand as the United Nations, okay? Not League of Nations, United Nations. And let's start again. Sure. And so they did. And it's, you know, it's been going since then. And um, it has, like, you're talking about the, the world's biggest bureaucracy. Sure. And so it has its problems. Yeah. You know, it's slow and things like that. But also it affords a lot of opportunities. And once you sort of, uh, for me, as a content producer, they need content. So that's what I do. I yeah. provide content. Yeah, wow. Okay. And then so what? So you mentioned that Katie, your wife, was the one who first started working. How was how was your entrance? Yeah, so it's basically like... Just, did you just stick around out, outside the gates and just <laughs> throw out some of your, your video content just to see if anything would stick or how did that work? So the idea is that, you know... You're supposed to be supportive of your wife, right? Sure. Okay. So, <laughs> happy wife, happy life. Exactly. And so she says, oh, I've got to go. Um, I've been doing journalism for 10 years at this point. And so an opportunity arises that you can go to live somewhere, largely paid for. Yeah. Right. And then you can then 
be free to create the world that you want or the working environment that you want. Like, that's too good a too good of an course, offer, you know. Yeah. So I was like, see you later, Let's ABC. Do it. <laughs> and um yeah, just packed up some stuff, got some gear together, like, you know, recording gear and sure. um, you know, production stuff and got my company um that I've been working on um and took it overseas. Yeah, well, and, wow. And then it, I've been doing that ever since. Oh my goodness! Um, wow, crazy. So, what was where was the first stop on the rank? Where did you? What country did the that lifestyle first take you to? So we started off in Bangkok, okay. uh, Thailand, and then stayed there for six years. And so from that, um, multiple jobs arise. So we I'm flying around the region, going and telling stories in in Laos, in in Cambodia, uh, Vietnam, uh, Myanmar. Uh, all over the place, right? And that's just that, that's just perfect for me. I mean, I was it was just the ability to be able to go and see stuff. I mean, that's the reason why I got into journalism. Yeah. Really, is that finding stories, finding the humanity in things, the adventure, going to see stuff, being paid to go and see things and hear from people and and learn, and that 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 whole idea of continuous learning is really important to me. And if we can do a job where it is actually your job to learn because you're not an expert in everything. And if you're telling a story, then it's your responsibility to learn as much as possible about that that topic. So then you're able to ask the questions and be able to get the story, right? And be able to be informed as possible. And then and then obviously the talent or the person you're talking to is able to fill in all the gaps and, you know, actually tell the story. But you see that that's, that's the basis of, any kind of journalism, um, storytelling, all that sort of thing is just finding that out, and I've just had I've had a ball, yeah, you know, wow. doing that, yeah, incredible. So, what is that process? Do you do you enjoy the the finding the actual story or the producing the story once you've found it, or the end bit where you're actually putting it all together? Well, it's a kind of like a continuous thing, right? Um, my skill is that I can do end-to-end, so I can start with the concept and, and give you the final product. Uh, not everybody can do that. Sure. Some people are more into the, you know, the, the pre-production side of things and finding the story and, and looking at that sort of thing um, and doing the interviewing and all of that and that, that production part. And then you'd give it off to somebody who would then mix it all together and, and put all the sauce on it and make it look nice and everything. Um, YouTube is really good. YouTube's been my friend. Okay. You know, largely like, you know, it sounds... Just by way of picking up those, skills. those abilities, yeah, to do the end turn and stuff. And okay. fine-tuning fine your skills. And it's one of those things that we're so lucky that we have this resource. And it sounds silly like that you've gone to sort of like this idea of a YouTube university. But if you've already got a basis of, of skills, um, you can just refine it and get so much better. And, you know, so now, you know, I've, I've learned all of my you know, animation and graphic design and stuff from YouTube and, you know, you get onto these things and, and there's people out there who have put all this stuff up for free and yeah. teach you all their skills and little tricks. And, yeah. And so, yeah, so now I've, I've built... On that, do you think that you picked up more skills or learnt more from YouTube or your, your broader studies? <laughs> yeah. Or do they go hand in hand? Did you... Did you you got the degree and you got the, the field of study that you wanted to look into, but then you were able to go away. And I think learning how to learn is really important. And I think people can like skip over that and say, oh, I don't need to go to university. I don't need to have that formal education because all this stuff's online and everything. And it's true. You don't. 
But if you want to be really good at what you want to do, and especially something like I know about journalism and I know about public health, so I've got masters in both. You can't just everyone thinks, especially with the pandemic, everyone everyone was a public health expert, sure, right? Everybody <laughs> knew what was going on. <laughs> Everybody's like, nah, 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 you got to do it like this, and that's the issue. And have you seen? Everybody had an opinion, yeah, right? of course. Were they really like well formed opinions? I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, well, yeah. I'd say the majority probably weren't. Yeah. And they were based off anecdotal things and blah, blah, blah. So it's really important to actually know how to find good information. You know, journalism and public health has helped teach me that and to weed through what is just junk because there's a lot of junk. Sure, okay. And I think that's the most important thing um, that I've learned from institutional education is to how to be uh, critical in selecting my information. Okay. And I think that's a really important thing that more and more of us need, especially with this saturation of information on social media, um, through you know the internet, is that there's going to be a lot of people who tell you that they know what's going on and that's the truth and and you know what is the truth. I mean, we, we've been talking about this post-truth era. Okay. You know, they call it post-truth. Yeah. What are you? What's going on? I mean, yeah. what are we talking about? Truth Post- is a thing. Like it's just. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, everyone has their own truth. I know these like, yeah, idea or like your of, version, sure. my version. But there is the thing called fact, of course. All right, and that is something that is proven through science and yeah, peer some review things are and black or white. You can't. Yeah, and there's a, there's argue, a, there's a certain methodology that's gone into it to create that fact, right? And I think it's really important, and and, and it's probably more important than ever now, um, as we all. Are saturated, you know. We did, we went. We had times when we didn't have any information, and we, we were just reliant. How crazy! On, you know, a newspaper or sure. a radio or or something to tell us something. Yeah, right. Which had its own problems. Sure. Now we've got too much information. Yeah, yeah you don't know what what, are you what gonna, is real and what are you going to listen to? What do you what do you trust? Are you just going to listen to what things appeal to you? You know, like oh, that sounds good. I like yeah. that. That doesn't yeah, challenge yeah. me. That doesn't make me think. Yeah, the old um. What's it? What's it called confirmation bias? Where you sort That's of right. you look out for things that reconfirm your beliefs rather than um, go against them. Um, yeah, so very interesting. Um, all that. Uh, so you spent six years in Bangkok. Just overall, how did you find that it was a enjoyable time of your life? I'd imagine. Oh, it's, Bangkok's great. If you've been to Bangkok, you'll know. Um, compared to compared to Melbourne, for example, what? Just completely different world, is it? Or uh, it's it's just a wonderful over sensory place. Like you're just bombarded with you know crazy smells, crazy like just you're, all your senses are just you know redlining. You know if you're if you're there for like day in day out, at the start you have, you know you just want to suck it all in, and then it's just like you just can't because yeah. it's just so much of it. <laughs> Do yeah, anything's too going crazy, on. and you just. You know, it's yeah. You can go to a lot of a lot of mischief and and also a lot of um, a lot of great people there. and Met a lot of good things and and it's just a great place. Yeah. Um, but also, it's it's hard. You know, like there's not a lot of green space and you and, and it's it's polluted and it's busy and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, after you've sort of being in a in a big metropolis city like that, it's just endless concrete. Like you go up and you, if you're on a, a sky. This, you know, rooftop bar and things, and you can look over, look out across the city. And it's just as far as your eyes can see, it's just buildings. High rises, yeah. And it's just like, 
wow, I mean, we have just taken every tree and just, yeah. you know, slaughtered that, you know, for this. Yeah, and imagine what this was 100 years ago. Yeah, yeah, and you just like, I've just started craving just some greenery. Yeah. I'm just like, this is great, yeah. but, whew, yeah, man, okay. like, like for the rest of your life, I don't yeah. know. Um, and then so did that lead you to where where'd you go next after working out that greenery was a place that you were – you're looking for so i went to jamaica kingston jamaica kingston jamaica <laughs> uh it was a dream come true tell you us know, about from it. my techno roots days <laughs> oh yeah reggae <laughs> you should have busted out the old radio station <laughs> oh, everybody there everybody oh, there is an artist everybody yeah. there is an athlete <laughs> it's one of those amazing little speck of an island that has only 2.5 million people and yet you know it has a huge impact on the world it's, you know, if you're talking about punching above your weight, I mean, that that is an example of a place that, you know, so much talent, so much energy, so much, you know, you just meet you meet people all the time who are, who are doing stuff, a lot of international artists and things coming just to collaborate and learn and suck it up and, yeah. you know, absorb it. So it's like a really bustling um, place and it's really So exciting. it is the way that it's sort of depicted in music, Um it's all true. Yeah, it's all true. <laughs> I mean, I, obviously, there's going to be gross generalizations, but sure. yes, largely a lot of the main ones. Everything <laughs> we talk about is true. And it's, it's it's incredible. Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I was expecting it to be less true than that, but, <laughs> but it was. <laughs> it was, and it was so crazy. I mean, everybody's just um, at it at all, all times of the hour. Um, little little um, rum shacks. Yeah, and I'm talking about rum shack. I'm just like, it's, 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 I say shack very loosely. Okay. It's like a little mobile wooden cart that <laughs> has structure of, of some sort that has serves you know white rum at you know seven a.m. and uh, everyone's kind of you know grooving around it. Not grooving like not everyone, but. No, construction staff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just the construction. Yeah. They're, f- they're fine to be, be sucking some truth back. We don't need alert construction staff. Man, they, it's overrated. Yeah, they've got like, they're all in uh, different stages of uh, creating joints and, and, you know, smoking and stuff and then putting their hard hat on and then going yeah. and working, <laughs> working in heavy construction. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure that the buildings over in Kingston would be... Top quality. <laughs> they're, they're kinky. <laughs> of course. And then, so what were some of your projects that you worked on over in Kingston? Was that still, you're still um, doing UN work at that time? You're still... Yeah, so I, um, you know, that, I was there for a while and then uh, COVID hit. Oh, you okay. know, that first year we were there. And then, um, and then I got a job with the WHO because uh, World Health Organization. Um, I had I'd finished my master's degree. Um, probably like, eight months before six months before and so again you know why did, why did i study public health i just kind of looked around and went well health's going to be an issue environment's always going to be an issue there's always going to be those things and and so then i did you know lifelong learning and stuff just went back to uni and did that you know um uh, online university yep. sydney, sydney university and yeah and then it just like there you go, have a pandemic. Yeah. Well, I was like, oh, okay. How's that for timing? <laughs> yeah, I was like, all right. And I was, I was sitting there and then suddenly I'm working, you know, doing COVID, COVID issues in, in Jamaica and through the Caribbean. Yeah, and then wow. Traveling around the Caribbean a bit and, um, 
you know, working with the Ministry of Health and stuff to do all this stuff. And that was great. I mean, yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, um, you know, you get to know about a place when you know about their, their health system. Okay, and interesting. You, re- you really, you know, if we really want to understand certain places, you know, just look at, look at what's affecting them health-wise, um, the quality of healthcare, um, you know, health is one of those things where it's the it's the, the nexus of all social inequalities, um, the wealth of the country, the the availability of, of medicines, you know, geopolitical issues, um, all sorts of stuff. You know, yeah. like, and so that's the, that's the interesting part of it. Yeah, wow, incredible. So I'm sure the the Kingston, Jamaica, or the Jamaican healthcare system wouldn't be comparable to how it is in Melbourne. I'm guessing. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty, yeah. I wouldn't. I, I you I wouldn't want to get in like you know some serious. If if it was elective surgery, I'd probably go somewhere else. But sure. you know that's 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 just basically based on you know so many factors. Sure. You know, and it's not their fault necessarily. It's um, you just take for granted all these things. You know, yeah. especially in a place like Australia, where it's it's largely you know it's you know government supported you know the quality of care is really good um the availability of medicines you know it's a rich country of course you know there's basic things man yeah it's crazy we were in um my my dad the other day um he hit his head open he knocked his head in the shower and we went to in smiling their pharmacies actually act as hospitals as well um, so we went to a family pharmacy that sort of turns into a hospital and the guy had a look at it and he said straight away, yep, you need four stitches, um, but I don't have stitches that are sterile enough for you to perform <laughs> the actual stitching, so you don't have to go elsewhere. Um, so things like that are, I'm sure, are crazy to, when you think back of how healthcare is in Melbourne and Australia more broadly, it's just crazy to compare. Oh, you know, it's it's... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've got a friend here who, we're in Kenya, we're doing this, and um, he's, he's decided he doesn't want any more kids. And so he's like, you know, I'm going to get a vasectomy. Of course. And I'm like, <laughs> really? <laughs> here? You sure about that? <laughs> right. Do right. you, you understand what much? area that is? <laughs> you mean that much of a rush? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I would choose to go somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny um yeah okay so um so you loved your time in Kent in in Jamaica did you how long did you stay there for were you there for long or we're there for two years and and COVID was like yeah it's not a, look it's one of those great places uh for a lot of reasons um but we had an opportunity to leave um during COVID and so we did because you just didn't know what was happening with COVID right you don't really know how long things are going to be shut yeah. down for and, and locked in and you know it's a so we, we left went back to thailand for for a bit and then got a job um the job uh announcement here in um uh, in kenya so it's been a lot of moving around over Ken- over um covid and, yeah. and thailand was one of those countries that um had a zero covid strategy so yeah you know they, they, were, they were like biohazard we went back in there peak covid and yeah not many people were allowed to go in there because we've got diplomatic. Um, yeah. And might I add, you had, did you have, both, you had two kids at this time, didn't you? you oh, yeah, our, no, two kids, yeah. Bella, yeah. Time, yeah. So that would have added to the, the craziness, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, so, you know, you, you, you then you, like, they wrap you in 
in plastic and they throw you into a hotel quarantine for two weeks and yeah. you know like it's really crazy stuff like yeah it's wild but you know and then we we, we got here um we kind of been chasing running away from the wave you know the school lockdowns and stuff like that and okay so, yeah um yeah so what was was it just so i don't know if i mentioned it but we're in nairobi kenya at the moment um it's where you've been living for how long have you been living here now Artin? Uh, 12 months 12 months okay so what was the what was the pull factor to nairobi was it a job or was it uh, I always wanted to be here, you know, close to Somalia, but not in Somalia. Sure. Uh, so, <laughs> close enough. Yeah. Within reach. <laughs> and you, you kind of get an understanding of the of the area. I think, you know, in terms of just to, to sort of go full circle, I mean, being, you know, I think, I think I'm think i officially the, the first Somali-Australian boy born in Australia. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So... I th- there was a girl of like of, of Somali heritage. heritage you were born. the first. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So male, I'm the first male. But there was a. There's a. I know like my cousin is. She's 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 the first. Oh my goodness! That's wild. Yeah. Wow. So see so your see so your upbringing with that. Your although we have very similar, I guess, family structures. I would say your upbringing because I guess you're a bit older was quite different to mine. Um, just with some of the experiences and just how new, well, as you said just then, that you were the first Somali um, Australian-born person ever. So it was different times, I guess. Totally. And um, with that, you kind of always thinking, you know, oh, it would be nice to go to Somalia. It would be nice to be sort of, you know, because you're always, you know, referred to as the Somali kid or, you know, just the different one or whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that I grew up in an inner city Melbourne where there's lots of differences, um, but it was more um, Asian differences. Like okay. you know, you got Cambodians, yeah. and Vietnamese, and yeah. you got the Lebanese who were just coming in in the '80s, and, and so there was those kinds of camps, right? But the the African camp was you know sparse and thin, and okay. there weren't that many. So you kind of got one, you know. I think there was, you know, a Portuguese. Um, Afro-Portuguese you know, brothers. Right. That was it. They were the, the only other, of, you know, dark. You knew in your area of, of in my school. In your school, sorry. Okay. Yeah. So you kind of like, yeah, you just, you fend for yourself, you yeah. know, and, or you have one other person kind yeah. of thing. And so it wasn't like a, like a big, I couldn't call it, call it a gang even. I think it was, <laughs> I was like, they probably need three for yeah. a gang, right? <laughs> one short of a gang. <laughs> <laughs> so... We didn't have a lot of rep. Yeah. So you're kind of aligning yourself with, oh, I think I'll go with the Vietnamese now. And, oh, no, 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 They're out of favour. Got to go to Levo. Got to swing. And then you're like, oh, Because you were how he looked, you probably could be that swing man in the sense that you were. Yeah, you were. Yeah. I think that's the thing. It's like if you're if you're in that mixed race and stuff like that, you can move around. Yeah, because you are. It was easy for me because I wasn't I wasn't nailed to any racial group. Yeah. And so that was always, you know, people think I'm Brazilian or, you know, whatever they are. That's what I think. You yeah. know, like whatever the person is, they they want me to be them. Oh, okay. Yeah. They're like, oh, you're Greek. You're Greek. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Sure, mate. Yes, you can. Yes. It's like, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, you whatever realize, you want me to be. Yeah. Leave me alone. It's just no stabby yeah. stabbies, all yeah. right? I don't want any knife crime. Right? So I'm just. So that, I think that's the easy thing um, 
and and you know it's something that you learn is that not having a de- defined racial group is actually a blessing of course because you can sort of you know cruise around a bit yeah i can definitely attest that i agree yeah that being mi- mixed race has only ever been a benefit um in my life so i guess i'm a bit privileged in that sense but yeah it's definitely been something that has only worked in my favor which is which has been nice um yeah, so we're in Nairobi. You've been in Nairobi now for about twelve months. How how do you find the the Kenyan lifestyle? Oh, look, it's great. I mean, and, and just the outdoor stuff. You know, I talk about the greenery. Yeah, this is an audio podcast, but we are overlooking pretty much uh, the greenest forest you'll ever see in Arson's backyard. That you mentioned the other day, you potentially sometimes see monkeys. Oh, no, no, there's, no, there's no potential. No potential. <laughs> it's, a, it's a constant uh, human-animal conflicts that we have here yeah. because me and monkeys don't really get along. <laughs> really? Uh, I'm, the, I'm the big monkey. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm the biggest one in the forest, mate. Like, you know, <laughs> and they know it. you gotta, you got to get challenged every day. <laughs> and so they come, like, they have two rounds. They come through in the morning and they come through in the afternoon. And, um, you know, they're getting into your house, you know, they – Obviously, go for bananas. That is true, and they go for other things, and they always leave a poo oh my as a calling card. <laughs> so they come just as little little f you, yeah, <laughs> to just let them like, know that this is this is my land. <laughs> and they come and shit in your house. They shit in your house. They steal your fruit and veggies because they don't like eat meat. They just eat the fruit okay. and veggies, right? And yeah, then they shit in your on your um, floor, and then they. F off. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> Do so, it again. <laughs> so, so yeah, so they, they're cute and they're lovely, but I've got a slingshot as well. Yeah. <laughs> beware, monkeys, beware. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so do you see Nairobi as, as home for the foreseeable future or what's next? I've been out of Melbourne now 10 years. Kids were born overseas. Um, I still call them Australian. Yeah. They say they're Australian. Uh, even though they've got the weirdest accents ever. Yeah, they do. It's a bit, Ari's a bit American. Is it a bit? Do they know. go to American school? Yeah. Like they've got I, some American influence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they watch a lot of TV. Okay. So. <laughs> That's probably that. Yeah. Um, but it's it's kind of weird. Like when you go out, you realise the world's pretty amazing. Um, and, you know, Melbourne's amazing. But kind of scary to go back. Okay. Yeah, interesting. So at, at this point, yeah, pretty happy in Nairobi. Yeah, okay. it's a great lifestyle. It's great. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There's, there's always something. You know, the world's interesting as well. Like the, you know, there's just different ways of of going about things. Okay. You know, the way that you go and get things done here is frustrating, um, but also uh, kind of liberating and easy as well. Of course. Because you know, you think everything's really good in Melbourne, and you know, and, and the systems are great. You know, everything works. Yeah. You know, here not everything works, but you can get things quicker because there's back doors and roundabouts. The and access, I would say, in African countries yeah. is, is a lot different to what it is in Australia potentially. Yeah, and you have to change your mindset and how, what is, um, what what standards are and sure. what, you know. And I guess what you value at the end of the day more than, yeah. than and what else. Yeah, I mean, like, the world's great and the world's big, so we'll see. Yeah, well, okay. Awesome, man. Well, um, we're just about to wrap up here, but before we go, I want to ask, what is the wackiest story that you've covered around the world um, throughout your time? Is that something you've got on top of your head or did you have, did you need to have a think about that one? 
wackiest story. Like what's like a time where you went to cover something and you're like, you cannot believe this is this is real life. Oh, I mean, there's a lot of that kind of stuff where, you know, there are just like crazy stories that happen to people, you know, like I was covering one story in um, in Laos actually, um, you know, where people just go missing. People just go like literally was there and one time and then they've gone. They're not dead. They're not, um, you know, they've run off. Oh they, they've just disappeared, yeah. gone. And, you know, that's the, by the hand of the, you know, allegedly by the hand of the, of the government. And you're there covering somebody who's, um, and you're following their life and, and their story and, and they're just sitting in, in wait and it's been like 10 years. And their family still hasn't got... Well, they've got closure. Nothing. They don't. They 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 having hope that the person's still alive. Um, the government won't confirm or deny, and it's one of these things where oh the government has has taken them as, and they've probably killed them, but they but they've just disappeared. Right. So they, they, so this was in Laos, and was this a specific case, or you, you saw it happen so multiple times? It's a it's a thing called enforced disappearances of persons, right? And okay. basically, it's a form of um, uh, control and a form of terror, really, that is state st- um, sanctioned. Right. So, if you're a dissident or you're causing a bit of too many uh, political headaches, yes. If you're just anti-government in any any way, way anyway, it could be um, anything that you know could be religious beliefs, could be could be anything that they see as a threat. Uh, there's a number of countries that do it. Um, that have you know a history of doing it, um, you know these countries won't ever admit to it. Yeah, I mean, so it's not something that because the whole idea is that they they won't admit anything, and so I think that's the hardest thing is that if if someone gets killed because of their political beliefs, then they can the family can move on, right, and they can all like live well you know, into the future because they can kind of have closure and, and understanding and things like that. And even the person is revered as some kind of hero or whatever, whatever, however they want yeah, to yeah. Um, paint it. But if you disappear with, without trace, with no idea yeah. and, and a sense that you might come back again, um, you know. I was well, you don't have it in, like the family, the family members do have that thought, like what if that person is out there? So of course, as you said, don't you give can't. Up on yeah, yeah. Don't give up on them. I mean, I was never so, ending. I was covering this this woman, and she keeps, you know, husband's toothbrush where it is. Oh his, my goodness! His, his denture is his denture. Oh my goodness! That um, needs to be kept moist, so she fills it with with water. This this denture thing that he has to sleep with at night, and he wouldn't go anywhere without this denture thing, right? So she says, "Look, he's coming back for it." You know, he's oh going to come back. And how long was thing. how long was this? It's ten years. Ten years. Over ten years. Oh my! I think it was even fifteen years. Oh like goodness. it was it's ages. Wow. And that's really like that's sad. Hard, yeah. I mean, I've covered that's a lot hard. of different things, you know, and that I think it was just really sad. Yeah. Wow. That hit you the most. That yeah. is truly remarkable. Um, well, Arson, I'm going to wrap that up there. But thank you so much for jumping on today. I've really enjoyed the chat not only um do we have the same name but we have very similar upbringings i guess and you're someone that i don't reckon i've ever related to more than i have um chatting with you so thank you very much well thank you yeah it's just so weird to 
to say my name out loud. I know, twice. Arts <laughs> and Squared. <laughs> That's what I'm going to call it. Arts and Squared. It's so wild. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Bo. I really enjoyed it. Pleasure.